Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning. Welcome into Red Sea Roundup. I am your host, Dr. Thaddeus Romanski. This is the second Wednesday of the month, January 2023. I hope your 2023 is off to a great start. You're listening to us today on Red Sea Catholic Radio, KDC 88.5 FM in the Brazos Valley, KYAR 98.3 FM in Central Texas, and KINF 107.9 FM in Palestine. Or you might be listening to us online, redsearadio.org, or on our app, which you can find in the Apple or Google app stores. Get on your phone, get on your mobile device. You can listen to us anywhere, anytime. And uh, I'm joined in the studio by uh, our executive director and sometime producer, Dennis Maka. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning, Thaddeus. Happy Wednesday to you. Thank you and very much. And our listeners. Sir. Thank you very much. Kind of a kind of an overcast uh sky here, but it's good temperature, decent temperature. It's one of our warmest winters we've had in a while. So uh I like it. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't like the cold. Yeah. Uh, cold is always uh to be avoided if we can. Um Got some sad news that came across my desk this morning, my virtual desk. Uh, some of you maybe have already heard that Cardinal George Pell passed away over the night. He died at 81. He was a Australian cardinal, close friend and associate of Benedict XVI. I was a little bit uh, more rocked by it than I would have been normally because in the days of coverage about uh, the late Holy Father's passing, mm-hmm. I happened to catch Cardinal Pell being interviewed on EWTN on our on our station. And you could hear the warmth in his voice uh, recollecting about Benedict and the, the legacy of the Pope and his thoughts um, about, about him. And so to hear that living voice uh, just so recently and then now to find out that he passed away... Um, is a little bit more jarring than, yeah. than normally died, would have been. Died unexpectedly from a heart attack. Yeah, after, had, a hip, had a hip replacement surgery. Yeah, after his hip surgery. And so was visiting with the nurses, and then uh, I think they checked his vitals, and pretty quick he, he died. Yeah, he was so. in car- he, um, <clears throat> he had been appointed to be the first prefect of the Secretariat for the Economy. He was the, the cardinal that was charged with implementing financial reform in the Vatican. And then some of you may remember uh, that he was charged with um, crimes of abuse in Australia. 2018, he was put into prison. You might remember that after many appeals, he finally got his case all the way to the high court, basically their Supreme Court, Mm -hmm. and it was overturned. He spent almost two years in prison he was not allowed to celebrate mass, uh, but I think six times while he was in while he was incarcerated, 
And it was a very, very painful um, time in his life. And so, yeah, from all accounts, it looked like it was a setup trial trying to get an agenda passed uh, mm-hmm. in in the Australian country to uh, basically loosen the regulations around the seal of confession. And um, he he took one for the team and, uh, you know, uh, really kept kept that seal intact, uh, at least in the government you know, their ability to persecute priests in Australia. He, mm-hmm. he took one for the team and um, he's a great friend of the Catholic Answers and their staff there and uh, an apologetics giant and someone that really enjoyed teaching and debating about the faith and really helping others come to the faith. So um, he will be missed by quite a few people. Yeah. And so we just, we asked for the, uh, that you pray at, some point today, pray for the repose of his soul, pray for the souls of all the faithfully departed. And, um, thank you, Cardinal Pell for your, for your service to the church. Um, I mentioned, uh, Pope Benedict XVI, and we're going to have a guest in the second half of the hour to talk some more about Pope Benedict's life and his legacy and his thought. I'm going to have Kevin Pesek, who's a campus minister here at St. Mary's, come in to talk about Pope Benedict and the the impact that uh, Joseph Ratzinger, Benedict XVI's thought and example had on him and his ministry and the way he does his ministry. And so it's kind of taking a, a global event and something important to the global church and drawing it down here to the local level and, and how it's how it makes a difference and an impact here right where we live. So please stay tuned for that on the other side of the break. Um, today is a, we do have a saint of the day, a little known, a, a quite little known saint, um, Saint Theodosius the Cenobiarch. He was a fifth century saint, uh, born in what's now Turkey, he ended up becoming a hermit, then building a monastery actually near Bethlehem. And he was given this title of Cenobiarch at the time because he was head of all uh, people living in community in the region of Palestine. And even though uh, by that time Christianity had been granted toleration, uh, he did suffer some persecution for remaining uh, true to the Orthodox Catholic faith. He stayed true to the decrees of the Council of Chalcedon. You might remember that that's one of the councils that defined um, the nature of Christ uh, against Arianism, saying that Christ was not God. Well, the emperor was an Arian, uh, and so he persecuted Theodosius exiled him, uh, but he was eventually able to return from exile when uh, the powers that be in Constantinople changed. Uh, And so he led, continued, went back to his role leading monks um, until his death in in 529. So we ask for St. Theodosius's prayers today, and there's a nice quote from him. I think it's it's a great quote for us all to Um, strive for 
may we cling with all our heart to heavenly things, right? Keep our focus on the eternal. Keep our focus on what really matters so that we have our priorities straight here below. Um, Dennis, you told me that you found a few parish events going yeah. on, and I have a couple of things here in in on my end, but why don't you go first? I'm going to shock everyone with this news. We're going to talk about sports, kids sports, but guess what? The shocker is that it's not victory sports. Uh, it will be at some point soon, we hope, in the central Texas area. But what? the Knights of Columbus Council number 13005 is having a free throw championship at St. Jerome's Catholic Church coming up this Sunday, January 15th, in their Mother Teresa Center. Um, it's going to be for ages 9 to 14 uh, as of January 1st of this year. So um, it's going to be at 1 p.m., and the registration will open up at 12.30 p.m. But a free throw championship at St. Jerome's and their Mother Teresa Center this Sunday at 1 p.m. Contact Pat Flavin at pat.flavin at gmail.com or check on their church bulletin or give their church bulletin or church office a call. Uh, once again, the Knights of Columbus free throw championship at St. Jerome Catholic Church in Waco at 1 p.m. this Sunday, the 15th. And then also I saw at St. Mary's Catholic Church in Waco, they're having their monthly potluck dinner. Oh my gosh, I love a great potluck dinner. Because, really? Yeah. Uh, you you just never try, know what treasures you're going to find. Yeah, it's kind of like a great garage sale, but I don't like them as much as my wife does. But uh, um, the potluck dinners I, I like because uh, you can find good things and you can choose not to eat vegetables if you don't want to. You know, <laughs> you just get all bunch plate full of meat. So on Sunday, the 15th at 12 p.m. to 2 p.m., if you're not involved at that free throw competition, or, uh, uh, you know, don't have kids of that age, you can go to St. Mary's for their aunt, their monthly potluck dinner, uh, the 15th from 12 to 2 p.m. in the St. Mary's Parish Hall. Uh, they're held on the second Thursday, since Thursday of every month at 6.30 p.m. in the Parish Hall. Uh, but, you know, that conflicts what it, what it says right next to the uh, great picture of a great bowl of soup. So hmm. call the church office to uh, get clarification on that. Um, that's either Thursday or it's going to be on Sunday. <laughs> wow. <laughs> there's there's only so much we can do, folks. We can only just bring you the news as, as printed. <laughs> Breaking um, news, it conflicts on the website. Okay. Sorry about that, St. Mary's. But hey, potluck dinners are going on at multiple parishes. And if there's not one going on at your parish, start one, you know. Um, but there's one at St. Mary's coming up real soon. It's their monthly. And if you start a a potluck, just know Dennis Maka will be there. He <laughs> I is, need uh, call. I need to call to find out that, that information. Or, that or is actually, I mean, we've been, we've been together now for, uh, this is starting year seven for me. Mm -hmm. And that is new information. I just learned something new about you that on like the air potlucks? that you like potlucks. I did not know that. Well, if you want to grab the, the cheap slice of pizza, or you can grab some really great foreign food. It's all going to be there. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, you mentioned kids sports and you mentioned victory sports. And I do want to yeah. remind people that uh, basketball season is in in Full earnest swing. now. We just had our first week of, of practice, youth basketball, uh, here in the Brazos Valley with our Brazos Valley parishes. But we have signups open now, early bird registration, uh, $70 for your first child, 
multi-child discounts after that for soccer. Soccer season will start at the end of March, March 25th. Uh, it's set to start, run through June 3rd. Um, sign up. Go to victoryyouthsports.org. We've gotten tremendous response. We've grown. We have more families participating in basketball season than we did mm-hmm. in the fall, so we're growing. Thank you so much for that. Um you know what I'm excited, really excited about? I'm excited to hear that there are non-Catholics and non-Catholic families becoming involved. Yes. And there are Catholic families who aren't normally that involved in their faith that are coming back into involvement of their faith Yes, because of Victory Sports. Yep. And I, I've heard nothing but great things from the families that are involved. Yep. And and they're excited that we actually keep score, you yes. know, and that it's it's a competitive league. Mm-hmm. We have a and, cha- we have a championship yeah. at the uh, at the end of the season. There's a nice, beautiful trophy that you get to win um, for so, the parish. If that sounds if that sounds exciting to you, something you want to be involved in, um, go to victoryyouthsports.org and sign up for soccer. Soccer early bird registration is open now, now. until February first. So still got some time, but spots are filling. Time's running out for that early bird special. So don't don't miss out. And a uh, little rumor going around that sometime during basketball season, we might have a potluck. <laughs> I'll be there. <laughs> I know you will. Okay. Um, I also wanted to mention that at St. Anthony's on Tuesday, next Tuesday, January 17th, after the um, veneration of the St. Anthony relic and the praying of the litany St. Anthony after mass, um, at 5.30, there is going to be in the church an opportunity to learn about how to pray the Liturgy of the Hours, the universal prayer of the church. Uh, learn about morning and evening prayer, and we will, uh, it's, the announcement says, uh, the evening will conclude with the praying of Vesper. So if you're interested in that, go to St. Anthony's, Anthony's with an S, faithformation.org, under adult RE, and you can sign up there. I did. You should do it too. We're going to be back on the other side with Kevin Pesek talking about the life and legacy and impact of Pope Benedict XVI. And if people want to call in? Oh, yeah. If people want to call in, you can call in 85-LOVE-RED-C, 855-683-7332. Don't miss us. Come back on the other side with us. We'll see you then. We would love to hear from you on how uh, the life of Pope Benedict impacted your life. This is a great time to call in. Red Sea Roundup. Come on back, folks. In 20 seconds, we'll go to break. We'll see you at the other side. All right, welcome back to Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Thaddeus Romanski. It's January 11th, 2023. Hope your January is off to a great start. And we have a great guest in, first-time guest, long-time listener, great friend of the Apostolate, Kevin Pesek. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing well, Thaddeus. Thank you for having me on. I am excited to have you here. Kevin was a Kevin was an Exodus 90 brother of mine a few years ago we 
we struggled through that experience, grew closer, right? Bonded, definitely. We yeah. definitely bonded, yeah. Um, Some ways involuntarily, but it definitely <laughs> happened. <laughs> Kevin is a campus minister at St. Mary's Catholic Center in College Station and father to four wonderful children, beautiful wife. Their work's in progress. Not my wife, the kids. Right, right, right. Good, good. Nice save, buddy. Mm-hmm. Nice save. Um, talk to us a little bit about what you do as a campus minister at St. Mary's and, and you know, what it's like here at, at St. Mm-hmm. Mary's in that, in that role. So at St. Mary's, uh, I think technically my title is like director of formation. So I, uh, I handle a lot of sacramental prep. So I run our RCI program uh, as well as our confirmation program for adults. And I'm also in charge of marriage prep. So preparing couples for marriage, kind of walking with them through that process, uh, which does keep me pretty busy. Um, obviously, A&M is huge, so uh, we're getting a lot of people coming in the doors looking for sacraments. And uh, But it's always it's always beautiful. I always tell people it's kind of a blessing in ministry to have a, uh, to have a finish line in sight. Obviously, sacrament is not the finish line, but it's a very big step for so many people, and it's very powerful to see people take those steps and be able to be a part of that and actually just to see progress that's made in a very tangible way. It's a, Do you have a, a favorite sacrament that you like to prepare people for? Do you like, you know, do you like the marriage prep stuff more? Do you like RCIA more? Um, you know, I've, one of my passions actually is really kind of communicating to people the importance and the value of actually what confirmation is. Mm-hmm. I feel like for so many Catholics, that's something I did in high school. That's kind of just me becoming an adult in the church, and as I say that, I cringe because that's not what the sacrament is. Uh, so usually when I uh, when I do my uh, my talk on confirmation for RCA, I usually start off with, um, if any one of you raises your hand when the bishop comes and you say that confirmation is becoming an adult in the church or me choosing my faith, I will like light myself on fire because that is not <laughs> what confirmation is. And they're all like, oh no, I would have said that. And like, that's why we have this talk. So I think I'm very so, so what do you say for the benefit of our listeners? So what is what is confirmation? What is the purpose of confirmation? Confirmation is the reception of the same Holy Spirit that was given to the apostles at Pentecost for the purpose of evangelizing the world. So confirmation is it's all about mission. If baptism is about identity, uh, confirmation is what sends us forth. It causes the seed of faith, the seed of grace that's planted in baptism to flower and to bear fruit. And we can't just be confirmed and kind of stick it in our back pocket and then show God our certificate when we get to heaven. That's not the way it works. That confirmation is a call to mission and is something we need to take seriously and to recognize the serious grace that's offered as we live that out. Okay, so we're kind of going off script here a little bit, but that's great. So talk about mission, talk about evangelization, and people who are listening may know that St. Therese of Lisieux is the patron saint of missionaries. But Indeed. she never left the convent. Mm-hmm. What does that tell us about what it means to be missionary? Again, and so it's not. Uh, it has to do with with the response to grace, right? It has to do with uh, responding to the vocation that God has called you to, and that, in a sense, every vocation is missionary. Every vocation is called to bear witness. Is called to point towards God, our ultimate end. For Therese, that was cloistered life in a convent. Uh, but certainly her life has pointed others towards Christ, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's through her prayers, it's through her example that who knows how many souls were uh, were converted, were open, were, I don't know, given the opportunity 
to respond to grace because of the sacrifices that she made and recognizing how we can also have that same effect because we are we are given that same grace invited to have that same uh, impact on others. Yeah, we're talking to Kevin Pesek. He is the Director of Formation here at St. Mary's Catholic Center in College Station. And I asked him to come in to talk about the life and the legacy and the impact of Pope Benedict XVI, who passed away on December 31st of last year, and his funeral was last week. Um, I think that's what we were just talking about with mission is a great place to start with Benedict because his writing, his thought was, who who knows, like you said about Therese, who knows how many people he impacted and pointed towards God. He had, he acted in much the same way, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in the ways, you know, under John Paul II, he was, again, the head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, um, to even think how maybe behind the scenes he even aided John Paul and obviously his great catechesis and kind of implementing his ideas implementing his uh, his goals and kind of the kind of this maybe the steering of the ship a little bit or kind of getting the the nuts and bolts done behind the scenes like who's to say what that impact was i know John Paul wouldn't let him retire even though he asked uh, multiple times and kind of recognizing the value that he might have had behind the scenes yeah i learned that this week this last week too that he requested multiple times to resign, and John Paul said, no, I need you to stay on for a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, I also learned that he, this was from Raymond Arroyo, that Benedict was always really kind of, he was kind of a hypochondriac. He was very worried mm-hmm. all the time about about his health and the status of his of his health, and it was not unusual for him to um, worry that a, a, a small cold that he had might be the signs of some something worse. Hmm. And Raymond thought that that might have played into his decision to to retire. We don't have to go into into all that today. That's not why we're here, but um yeah, that's learned a lot of a lot of new little details about uh, Benedict. Um I was going to say for myself, I remember back in 99 or 2000 whenever it came out that uh Dominus Jesus was a was a really impactful document for me. That was one of the first Vatican documents that I actually read. And I know that, you know, that was prepared basically by Joseph Ratzinger when he was the the head of the CDF. The internet um, did exist back then, right? It did exist yeah, back okay. then, yes. I think I read it I think I read it online actually, yes. Mm-hmm. On the on the Vatican's really up to date website even today. <laughs> It's an, it lends to an air of traditionalism, right? It's yes. <laughs> grounded in history, just like the internet. Right, right. Um, but yeah, so so reading that document and um, just its very uh, confident, bold proclamation of the the truth of the of the Catholic religion, and even even as it went in and and um, I thought respectfully um, explained our relationship to other world religions uh it it was exhilarating for me it was it was impactful for me and it, it made me want to dive deeper into my into my catholic faith and and know it intellectually better so it was an intellectual um fire starter for mm-hmm. me did you have a similar kind of 
first encounter with, with Benedict's thought that, that did something for you, you know, like I that? I feel like um, one of the things that really drew me to Benedict is uh, all of his writings are marked with such clarity. Mm-hmm. I remember trying to, like all young people, kind of very enamored with John Paul II and kind of just, wow, what a great guy. And I remember, you know, trying to read his encyclicals and being really lost because yes. he's a philosopher first and foremost, right? Uh, Benedict is much more of a theologian and a teacher. And I feel like clarity is something that he provides, even in the, the document you referenced, Dominus Jesus, that, again, I don't think Benedict shied away from stating the truth, Mm-mm. right? And it's very important to be clear in the truth and being clear in what we believe and what we don't believe and kind of being very precise and, again, kind of presenting that in a way that isn't, uh, isn't accusatory, isn't con- condemn- condemning, uh, being able to do that and not being ashamed of it. Um, obviously, knowing that it wasn't a very popular statement and— you could debate the timing and everything like that, but feeling that it needed to be said and kind of rising to that, mm-hmm. you know, and not being afraid of the persecution that might follow. Mm-hmm. Do you find that that's something that that characterizes what you try to do with, let's say, RCIA formation here at St. Mary's? I mean, do you try to do you strive to to do the this is the truth? This is what we what we believe. This is what we teach. This is what you're signing up for, mm-hmm. but doing it in a in a spirit of charity. Yeah. I think it's incumbent upon me to be clear. I do people a disservice uh, if, if I obscure the truth or water it down or make it less than what it is. You know, if I, if I was trying to convince people to join the army and I told them that you get to roast s'mores every night and sleep under the stars and blow stuff up sometimes, I'd probably get a lot of people signing up for the army. And when they got there, they'd be sorely mistaken and very cheated and misled on what they were actually signing up for. Mm -hmm. And I think that, again, as I present the Catholic faith to people, I want to be very clear in making and helping them know what they are signing up for, right? And not, uh, not watering down the challenges, but also not hiding the benefits as well. So being very upfront about everything, very much uh, kind of using a marriage analogy, I try to inform their consent, mm-hmm. right? Regardless of why they started RCA, regardless of why they are there, that informing them about the decision that they are making, mm-hmm. right? It's really great that they want to join the army, they want to blow stuff up or roast s'mores, and okay, that's really great, and I, that's the army is a great thing, but that's not what it's about. It's about giving your life for the service of your country, mm-hmm. right? Becoming Catholic is not about pretty music, and it's not about the incense at Mass, and it's not about having a crucifix in your home. It's about much more than that. It's about being able to lay your life down for the Lord that you love, for the Lord that you desire to serve, and not sugarcoating that for people, recognizing it certainly has its benefits, right? But really much making sure that the cross is something that they are aware of and something that they are embracing, not something they try to run from or or hide from or feel like is is unfair. I have a great quote from uh, Pope Benedict here from his Deus Caritas Est document, um, and it was, or it is, being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person, which gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. Mm-hmm. Mission. Yeah, it's trying not to over-intellectualize things. Christianity is not an argument. It's not a moral philosophy. It's not a way of looking at the world. It's about much more than that, right? It's a it's a full-body experience, heart, mind, and soul. And we rob the gospel of its power when we kind of compartmentalize it into just a part of our lives. Yeah. I wanted to, to go back to RCIA. Um, what 
I'm sure, I mean, there's probably a thousand different reasons why people come to St. Mary's for RCIA to join the church, but what are some of the most typical, most common reasons that you hear people are, are coming for RCIA? Uh, normally they come because they're invited. They've encountered someone that's Catholic that's had a very positive influence on their life that they're struck by, that they're touched by their faith, they're moved by it, and they're curious as to wow. why they act that way. That's you know? not the answer I was expecting you to say. I was expecting you to say mostly it's because they're wanting to get married to somebody who's Catholic and they're not. I mean, that's certainly something. But I guess that could be part of that. That might get them in the door. Yeah. Um, but that's I. Normally, when I when I meet with people and they even share that with me, like I came because my boyfriend, my girlfriend's Catholic, my fiance is Catholic. That's why I came, but that's not why I stayed. Wow. You know, I feel like people oftentimes have a deeper conversion of like, I'm not doing this for them anymore. I'm doing this for me. Wow. And again, that can be a very again that's a free choice that they make, and kind of just giving them the space to have that realization and not to force it upon them is oftentimes very transformative. Right? It's a it's a, it's a response to grace. It's not a response to me. I mean, that's got to be exhilarating for you to be a part of that. Yeah, it's very, it's very humbling. It's again, I think I've described it before as a, a front row seat to grace to yeah. see how people's hearts are changing, how the Lord is leading them, whether that's big steps or small steps. It's always very powerful to, to see that. Wow, that's thank you for 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 that. So, I asked you to come on here and talk about Benedict and some of your some of your favorite parts of his thought or some of his favorite works. Um, I kind of pitched it to you being inspired by um, Apple Music, the way they do their playlists. They might have, uh, you know, Chicago Essentials and then Chicago Next Steps and then Chicago Deep Cuts. And so I thought, what what do you think are the th- maybe three essential writings by him, either before he was Pope or, or once he was Pope? You know, I think for me, one of the one of the things I've I've gone back to recently um, is actually his first homily he gave as pope. Uh, for me, I've I've read multiple times, and there's a lot of very powerful things in there. One of the one, the, the quote at the bottom of my email is from that. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it says each of us is the result of a thought of God. Mm. Right? We're not a meaningless product of evolution. Each of us is willed. Each each of us is loved. Each of us is necessary. Um, and there's also a very powerful. Uh, a testimony he gives about, again, John Paul was saying, was saying be not afraid. Um, Benedict kind of takes up that mantle in that homily and, again, specifically addresses young people. Mm-hmm. And it says, do not be afraid. Are, are not we all afraid that Christ will take something from us, that we will give our life to him and he will take it, mm-hmm. um, that Christ desires to take nothing. He desires to give us everything. Um, so I feel like that homily for me is very powerful and it's probably worth a read if you haven't read it or it's been a while. Yeah, I just got pointed back to that homily by someone also because that's where he actually debuts the dictatorship of relativ- relativism phrase is in the— I think that's in his— uh, Oh, that's that's in his— Before the conclave. Th- that's that, right. That, that You're, homily, right. You're yeah. right. You're right. Sorry. But yeah, so that homily is very impactful. I mean, obviously, the Jesus of Nazareth trilogy is going to be your classic one. I actually just read the uh, infancy narratives for the first time mm. uh, over Advent, um, and that was just really cool, some of the insights— that he made there. Uh, okay, so I have not gotten around to reading to reading those. What can you can you tell me a little bit more about? Should I start with the first one that was published, or should I start with one of the other ones? Do you think? Um, I would start with the one that was published, uh, part one. Um, I mean, really, it's 
it's really a life of Christ. I mean, so many, I mean, if you're a theologian worth of salt, you're pretty much going to write a life of Christ at some point, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so it's really a sort of an extended Bible study. It's a biblical meditation on, again, Christ's life and kind of what that means. So the first book will go through um, the Beatitudes is a large part of that. Um, he talks about, again, various miracles, uh, the Our Father, kind of those classic kind of uh, scenes from the life of Christ. Uh, book two will be about Holy Week specifically. Mm-hmm. So Palm Sunday, Holy Thursday, Good Friday. So that might Easter. be a good one for people to pick up as we come into this, as we're you know heading towards Lent, Easter. That might be something people might want to read during Lent is is volume two, right? Mm-hmm. Which is Holy Week. Mm-hmm. That was really good. And then obviously the infancy narratives is, again, it, it's shorter, a lot shorter than the other ones. Um, it's kind of just kind of the, the ending note, kind of going back to the beginning. Um, but I found that very... Very fascinating. There's not a lot of material for him to work with. <laughs> you would think, narratives. but many books have been written about those few chapters in Luke and Matthew. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's true. Okay, so his his first his first homily as Pope, the Jesus of Nazareth trilogy, mm-hmm. and um, then I also recommend uh, as my third my third submission here is actually reading his encyclicals. All right, um, obviously people know about uh, Deus Caritas Est, God is Love. Uh, Space Alvi, so mm-hmm. Saved in Hope, mm-hmm. and then Caritas and Veritate, Charity and Truth, which is more of a social encyclical. Mm-hmm. But people often forget that Francis's first encyclical, Pope Francis's first encyclical, Lumen Fide, was mostly written by Benedict. That That's was kind right. of on his desk whenever he uh, whenever he resigned. And I mean, it's impossible to say how much Francis added to it or or, or modified or anything. But does it read like Ratzinger though? I remember when I read it when it came out the first. The first half or so seemed like very, very Benedict. I mean, obviously, it completes the trilogy of faith, hope, and love. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got the sense that the first half was very much Benedict, and I got like Francis kind of put his two cents in at the end, um, which was also very powerful. Specifically, Francis writes about the touch of Christ in that encyclical that, for me, has always been something I've meditated upon and kind of been struck by, like that healing touch. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those three in particular, that trilogy of faith, hope, and love is also kind of a— Again, John Paul, you know his his uh, his encyclicals. Uh, he wrote one on the Trinity, right? He wrote one on hum- uh, on Christ Himself. Um, oh God, what's the first one called? Redemptor Hominis, the Redeemer of Man. Uh, the Holy Spirit was Dominum et Vivificatum, so the the Living God. And then uh, he wrote one on on God the Father, Divus and Misericordia, God the Father of Mercy. Um, so again, interesting how Benedict kind of kind of has that same. Uh, Decided to do a trilogy of encyclicals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read the, many of those. I have not read. I did read Deus Caritas Est and Space Alvi and Caritas and Veritate. I have not read um, Lumen, the, Lumen, Fide. Lumen Fide, Light of Faith. Yeah, I need to do that. Okay, um, so you've you're you've obviously very familiar with his thought. Um, how has he? How has he been a part of your your faith journey? Um, where were you when he you know came onto your radar screen, and then how has he how has he accompanied you in your your growth? Um, I mean, so he became pope when I was a when I was a senior in high school, and I feel like I really discovered Benedict uh, as I dove into my faith in college and then in grad school when I was studying theology. Obviously, he's going to be very heavily referenced by a lot of professors. Um, so, really, kind of encountered him. In that regard, um, and yeah, as I uh, 
again, even some of his uh, the writings before he was pope, um, certainly got a lot more to get through there. But always, always bits and pieces, speeches here and there, a lot of books, uh, things like that, um, bits and pieces. But yeah. Okay. Um. And uh, I think that with, again, his thought in particular has always influenced me. Um, you know, Benedict was one of the advisors at, the, at Vatican II, and I feel like he uh, very much was a proponent of the continuity between uh, pre-Vatican II and the post-Vatican II church. So a hermeneutic of continuity rather than a rupture and kind of being able to draw and to point out the the ways the Holy Spirit continues to guide the church and on way the way the church is still consistent about so many things. And I feel like one of the things that I, I find myself doing is kind of presenting the Catholic faith to people in a way that's that's logical and reasonable and continuous. There's mm-hmm. not any there's not any wrong notes, so to speak. There's not any you know, doing a chord on the piano, there's no, you know, off things, that everything fits. And I think Benedict kind of does a good job of that as, again, as much change as Vatican II brought, kind of seeing how that is in continuity with the, the faith the Church has always believed, mm-hmm. um, that truth doesn't change. And kind of, I think that you could argue that was one of his missions, was kind of showing that and reminding us of that and forcing us to grapple with it, because if we think truth truth does change, there's something that we need to um, re-examine. I remember having a feeling during his pontificate, the years of his pontificate, just of um, stability, um, continuity, assuredness about this is what we believe, this is who we are, um, we're all on the same page. Now... There's an article I saw a few days ago by, I think it was Ed Condon from the, from the Pillar, and it was titled, Pope Francis is Benedict XVI's Biggest Legacy. Hmm. Um, we're, living in a, we're living in a time now where there's, I don't necessarily think there's as much of that feeling of stability or continuity. Um, there, there's, there's arguments from immediately following Vatican II that you felt like were settled or aspects of the faith that were were, were the legacy of the Second Vatican Council that were settled that seem to be now um, open for discussion again. Response, reaction. I I feel like Francis uh, is, is big on discussion. He's big on dialogue. I feel like um, the church probably didn't discuss enough after Vatican II, the things that were done, right? The church kind of promulgated its documents and people kind of did what they wanted. You know, there wasn't a lot of discussion. Certain there groups was, rushed ahead with, right, with there was, things. There was not a lot of guidance. Um, and again, some of that had to do with again, the, the dissemination of information at that time. But I think Francis is willing to have those conversations. He's willing to hear people out. He's willing to hear their opinions. Um, I think he very much reserves judgment. He's uh, kind of like Jesus sometimes, and it's hard to kind of nail him down to a point. You know, he he very much wants to wants to dialogue. He very much wants to be approachable. Um, nothing is off the table when it comes with Francis. Um, I would suspect that he certainly has his opinions, and I feel like a lot of those opinions are actually very orthodox. But that he is not uh, he's not interested in he's interested in letting people freely make their own decisions, that he's not interested in 
kind of forcing people or coercing them, that he wants to hear what they say, he wants to propose questions, he wants them to think deeply about it, and he wants to let the Holy Spirit be the one that's moving hearts and not not so much um, placing that uh, that challenge or that stress upon himself. That I think he he oftentimes I think plays the long game mm-hmm. with with various issues with various people, and that's a very uh, frustrating game to play as someone who's played it themselves with individuals uh, on various <laughs> things. It's hard to be patient, and um, but that's sometimes the thing that needs to be taken, the, the, the track that needs to be followed. Um, and I think that, again, Francis is a, is a very good complement to Benedict in so many ways, mm. you know, that mm. while Benedict, uh, you know, we've heard it said in recent days that, you know, John Paul was the— you know, the, the spirit of the church, the soul of the church, Benedict is the mind, uh, Francis is the heart. You know, that all you need all three of those things to work together. And again, maybe I, you could argue that Francis is kind of opening up that, that part of the church, the listening church, right, with the, with the synods and everything like that. Like, he's willing to listen. He wants to people to discuss. He wants people to not not dwell on things, not keep them hidden, but to bring them to light, regardless of if they're correct or not. He wants you to say it. And he wants you to say what you're thinking, and he wants you to be honest with yourself and to think about. Yeah, I mean that's one of the essentials for a good confession is you you have to you can't hold anything back. You have to say say what's on your heart, what you've mm-hmm. done. You have to be honest. Yeah, Francis wants us to be all in. Yeah, he doesn't want us to pretend to be all in or to tell others that we're all in. He wants us to authentically be all in, and that's a very messy thing for for so many of us that. We might be on board with a whole bunch of stuff, but there's things we struggle with, there's sins we struggle with, there's teachings we struggle with that Francis doesn't want to leave those things in the dark. He wants to bring them out and to talk about them, and those things are hard. Those things are are messy. Those things can be painful, uh, but he doesn't shy away from that. So do you do you find that is, a, is an important aspect of your pastoral ministry with, say, married couples? I mean, because you, you, you don't just work with the the students in large groups. You also have individual meetings with, mm-hmm. with RCIA candidates and with married couples, correct? Right, trying to bring bring things to the light that are that are hard, you know, and even having the humility to recognize that it's not necessarily my job to fix those things. Mm-hmm. You know, when people, you know, pick their dog, Marian dogma they don't like or moral teaching the church has, like— I'll certainly give my two cents on why I feel like those are valid and the good reasons for them, but I don't place the pressure upon myself to have the perfect analogy or to have them walk out of that meeting with their with their mind changed. That's not that's not a, a goal for me. You know, that's something I've grown in. It used to be really hard uh, to leave those meetings and not uh, not seeking the resolution that uh, I started with, but being able to again kind of present it to people and letting them wrestle with it. And presenting the the opinion of the church, the truth of the church, and kind of showing where they are in conflict with that, helping them understand it better, but then putting the ball in their court, not uh, not placing that responsibility upon me. That it's going to be their faith, it's their conversion, it's their responsibility. And if they're looking to me for all the answers, well, they're going to be sorely disappointed because I don't have all those. So if that's your if that's your your Franciscan approach to to ministry, then what's kind of your Benedict your Benedictine or your Benedict side of, of things. How does he factor into the way you do your, your job? Being clear in what the church teaches. You know, I think a lot of people add on to what the church thinks. They add their own opinions in there, you know, regardless of what it is you, you think it's going to be. Um, so being very clear in what the church does, what, what the church teaches and what the church does not teach, you know, and kind of 
helping them see that whatever that teaching is, that it's not it's not out of the church's self-interest that it's communicating those things, that whatever is being communicated, regardless of how hard it is at its core, is good for us. It's not good because the church says it's good. It's because of the, of the content of the teaching itself. So trying to be clear in that and um, being uncompromising a little bit on the truth of like, this is what it is. This is not going to change. Like this is something that you might have to wrestle with and it might not be fun and it might take a long time. You know, but this is what it is, and it's worth wrestling over, and I'll help you try to explain. I'll help you try to understand it. At the end of the day, it might not be a a mental leap. It might be a spiritual one that you need to make. You might have thought through things, but you need to pray through things. Mm -hmm. You know, so kind of uh, doing what I can uh, intellectually, but also— Again, emphasizing the spiritual aspect of conversion. So this is a really interesting conversation because it— it brings to the fore the maybe a tension between allowing people to continue to wrestle with things and have things unresolved even after they've said yes and they're going to go forward with, say, being confirmed, and what are the non-negotiables if if there is some set of non-negotiables where they have to say, okay, you you have to you have to believe these things or else you can't you can't go forward. Is that is that a real tension? I feel like it's a tension. It's certainly a, I don't have insight into each person's heart, into each person's mind. And I mean, people can say all the right things. I'm not going to know if they really mean them or not. Right, I, right. I kind of fall back on uh, Jesus' choice of the 12 apostles. And those men were certainly not perfect, some far from it. And he felt they were worthy enough of being called, and he equipped them and sent them out and they continued to grow in holiness throughout their life, right? They continued to struggle with sin. They probably struggled with—I mean, look at St. Thomas, right? Struggled with faith. Like, that's not a prerequisite of you being perfect to receive your sacraments. Well, you could argue that St. Peter actually went backwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and many of us do, right? Just because you get your sacraments doesn't mean you're done, doesn't mean it's a magic wand. So kind of presenting to people that you need to recognize your littleness, you need to have some humility, you need to recognize your need for grace, your need for a Savior, your need to continue to grow and to understand. And as long as you enter into the church, as long as you have the attitude of, all right, Lord, I need a whole lot of grace in a whole lot of areas of my life, and I'd prefer you don't give me grace in that area, but if you want to give me grace there, I guess I would be open to it, Right. I kind of presented to people like, is the door is the door shut and locked on certain things, mm-hmm. or is the door unlocked or even cracked? You know, if the door is shut and locked on a certain aspect of Catholic teaching, I mean, you've got a bigger you've got a bigger problem there in your relationship with God, not with the Catholic Church. You know, mm-hmm. to say like, no, God is wrong, God, you can't change my mind. I believe this. I don't care what anyone else says. That's a bigger problem, mm-hmm. right? If the door is unlocked, if the door is cracked, like I don't see it opening, but God is God, and if He wants to be God and work wonders in my life, work powerfully, I guess I would be open to that. For me, that's enough, you know, an openness to grace. That, that, that's, the, that's the bare minimum is an openness to grace. Not that you need, you're able to explain everything perfectly, not that you don't struggle with sin, right, in all areas of your life, right? We, again, it's, it's a temptation there to reduce RCI to an intellectual ascent, mm-hmm. right? And you could argue that's the least important. It's more about how you live. It's more about how you pray, how you love, how you worship, and again, as long as there's an openness to grace in that regard, I'm going to trust in the Holy Spirit 
Right. It's never my decision if someone becomes Catholic or not. That's always theirs. You mentioned prayer. We don't. I don't think at first glance we would maybe necessarily associate Pope Benedict with prayer, with the life of prayer. Uh, but the quote that I gave from him certainly would would indicate that would be a false mm-hmm. view of him. How how can he help help us in our prayer life? How can familiarizing ourselves with his thought uh, improve our our prayer life? Right, you cannot uh, you cannot love what you do not know. So Benedict in his in his teaching is going to clarify, is going to propose, is going to explain a lot of things about God and the person of Jesus Christ that allow us to know him better, to know who he is, to know who he is not. And again, it's one thing to know that, and that's really great, but there's no test you're taking when you get to heaven, right? You're not going to list all the things you know about Jesus. That, again, that we take those, the, that truth. Well, this is the test, right? We're living this is we're it, living right? the test. Uh, we take those things we've learned about Christ, and again, it's, it's a relationship. A lot of people know a lot of things about Christ and are not Christian. Right, that's not a, a marker of holiness. Right. That again, there has to be an interior transformation, not just in your head, but also in your heart. So, being able to learn those things about Christ and again to be converted by them, not to understand them or to be able to explain them, but to be moved by them, to reorient my life in a different direction now that I know those things. Um, so, I think Benedict again is going to be very clear about that. Right, that Christ is not a mythical figure. He's not a moral philosopher. He is our Lord and Savior who died on the cross and desires a relationship with me. And that places a demand upon me, a demand that I cannot make offhand. It's not a demand I can make on a whim. It's something I need to wrestle with. I need to pray with. It's not just a matter of the mind. It's a matter of the heart. And again, not robbing the gospel again of its and power. And the body, like you're saying, and and how we, how we live, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think he'll be canonized? I don't know. I uh, I think recently he uh, I read something that he had told the the head of the Vatican Vatican dicastery in that regard that he doesn't think Pope should be canonized uh, or even recent popes. You know, I think that we have a tendency to do that with a lot of people, and I'm not saying that they weren't holy people, but um, I don't know that maybe they're the Church in its wisdom. I mean, historically, waited a long time before canonizing people. Mm-hmm. Um, so would he, would he be canonized? Obviously, it's not for me to say. Um, he, he certainly could be, just like hypothetically, you could be, Thaddeus, but <laughs> none of us are holding our breath on that. Uh, yeah, um, let's, don't don't hold your breath on that, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, but you know, th- if, if you don't mind, one thing I want to go back to, you yeah, mentioned yeah. kind of the, the deep cuts and everything Please. like that. I do have some deep cuts on Benedict that I would recommend. I want, yeah, let's do it. Um, so Benedict, uh, in his vast uh, corpus of academic works, only wrote one book on Mary, right? And it's a very short book. It's called Daughter Zion. It's very interesting. He very much approaches Mary from an Old Testament perspective huh. and how it kind of relates to the New Testament. It's very fascinating, a very short read, um, but a very different perspective of looking at Mary. So that's kind of a deep cut. But I'm surprised that he only had one not, not even that's kind of one whole work on Mary. Yeah, just d- particularly dedicated to obviously he mentions her in various other yeah, things. Yeah, sure. But only one work that's specifically uh, dedicated to her. Uh, the other thing 
that I would recommend. Um, you know, like I said earlier, Benedict was a, a theological advisor at the Second Vatican Council. Yes. And that's something I kind of ended up delving into in grad school for whatever reason. I can't remember how we got on it. Um, but specifically the influence that Benedict had on the Constitution on Divine Revelation, yes. Dave Erebum, um, is actually very profound. He gave a, a series of lectures before the council uh, to the German bishops and kind of some other bishops that were there kind of on his vision of revelation, of scripture, of tradition. And those lectures recently became available. They were translated, I remember, when I was in grad school. And reading them, and I'm like, wait a second, am I reading Dave Verabum or am I reading uh, Benedict's uh, thought before the council? Um, so it's actually kind of fascinating. So it's that influ- he was that it's much of that influential that when I read Dave Verabum, I very much see a lot of Benedict in that. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, I don't know how much of that he drafted as a per- as a peritus or anything like that, but his influence on that document is probably very understated. Um, so reading that in conjunction with Verbum Domini, which was a post-synodal apostolic exhortation um, that was released in 2010 um, under his pontificate. But it's very interesting to kind of see how those things correlate. It's almost like Benedict's, Benedict's thought of him of, of De Verbum, um, a document that he helped create, and De Verbum Domini is much longer than De Verbum. And I would see that as a very authoritative kind of um, building out of some of those thoughts in Dave Ergum that maybe didn't make it in or that he realized were misunderstood or needed to be uh, explained further. So I think reading those two documents in conjunction with each other would probably be a very interesting exercise. Yeah, that's that's great stuff. Thank you. Um, yeah, I learned, I learned last year that he actually um, was instrumental in the, like the draft document of Dave Ergum was the sources of, divine revelation and it was benedict who pushed and said no no it's not the sources of that is divine revelation right yeah the person of christ and not the reduction of that to scripture or tradition there's yeah some fascinating remember reading things about um yeah some theologians and i'm trying to think now like part like some of the some it's fascinating to to read kind of like the early drafts of some of these documents and the ways they were changed even if very very small. That seems like such a subtle change, but mm-hmm. it's a really, really important. Yeah, I remember like something being read about, uh, like something from Trent, uh, the Council of Trent. Like some of the early documents said that Revelation was found partly in Scripture and partly in tradition, and they ended up taking that out. They didn't like the partum and partum, the partly thing that Revelation is found totally in Scripture and tradition together. Mm-hmm. Like they're not meant to be separated or kind of parsing truth and what's found here and what's found there, it's together they present the most complete picture. And we very much, of Christ, and we see that in, in De Verbum, is that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of Revelation. He is the um, the definitive lens, um, and we can't reduce that to arguments over faith alone, Scripture alone, tradition alone, like Christ himself is sufficient. And recognizing Scripture and tradition help us to encounter the person of Christ and not to reduce them to anything besides that. So is it fair to say that you admire Pope Benedict? Is it possible to admire someone through their through their thought? Definitely. I mean, even you could say you admire him just for the volume of work that he produced. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, just all that he uh, has given to the church um, in his thought. I mean, the service he gave to the church as pope, which, you know, I remember watching that Netflix movie, The Two Popes, and just laughing. 
you know, that Benedict was actively campaigning for the papacy or anything like that. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous. But the service he gave to the church, I mean, to admire the man, I mean, come on, can you imagine following John Paul II? I mean, the arguably the greatest pope of modern times, like, talk about a hard act to follow, you know, and those were not Benedict's gifts, Mm -hmm. right? Having to follow that, like, in all humility, knowing that probably people will never love me the way they love John Paul, you know, like, who's going to sign up for that job, you know, but uh, kind of bringing to completion some of the thought of John Paul, um, implementing a lot of things, um, yeah, I think really, really admire the man, uh, even if there's humility and being able to resign, you know, and kind of the the heat that he took for that, um, but being faithful, right, to, to whatever the father asked and sticking to his promises after he resigned. Yeah, I, I heard some some discussion that um, he recognized maybe that even inadvertently the the office had become subsumed into the man under John Paul II, and that Benedict felt like it was important for the man to be subsumed into the office and let and, and let him disappear and the office um, shine more greatly. Right. And that that was an important legacy, important thing to do coming out of John Paul's um, pontificate. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been great having you on, Kevin. Uh, really could have talked a lot longer, but thank you so much. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for this episode of Red Sea Roundup. And Pam Marvin will be your host next week. And we remind you, when choosing between the values of heaven and the values of earth, always round up. Talking